Welcome back, everybody. Hope you're keeping well. This is the fourth episode of the Movie Millennium Podcast and our second movie suggestion. It's all going good. Thanks again for all the lovely feedback and support, uh, especially towards the end of, I feel for most people this will be true, a mostly uneventful summer compared to previous summers. But um, I hope you're doing great. I feel great. I'm healthy. I'm happy. Um, I treated myself recently to a lot of nice uh, supplements and health products from Bulk Ireland, including this thing called uh, Zero Calorie Honey Syrup, which sounds way too good to be true. Uh, I might be quite gullible. Because, like, you know, how, how can you have zero calorie anything? Um, I might have just bought a, a bottle of air or something. I don't know. See, look, this podcast is all about psychology, I guess. But, uh, which I know a, a thing or two about, but when it comes to nutrition, I really, you know, uh, <laughs> I, I'm kind of a beginner, but um, guaranteed the bulk, uh, the bulk Ireland CEO is in his office right now, like laughing away at my expense. But he's uh, like, <laughs> can't believe he fell for the gimmick. Zero calorie syrup doesn't even exist. But uh, yeah, I'm just saying, uh, this is not a sponsored episode. This is just a way for me to sort of segue into the episode. Which, you know what, let's just start it. Um, We're doing Blade Runner today and the ethics of murder. So without further ado, syrup straight and we'll ooze our way into this. (laughs) So I I watch a lot of crime dramas and, you know, you can probably hear it in my voice. I'm perked up. I'm excited to do this. Whenever murder is mentioned, I I just sort of, you know, I'm with it. So so Blade Runner, uh, it's a futuristic sci-fi movie. And I'm just now realizing that three quarters of the episodes available on my podcast are science fiction. But that's changing next week. Um, In the Blade Runner universe, starring a younger Harrison Ford and a shamefully unknown actor known as Rutger Hauer. Or Rutger Hauer. I, you know, I say he's relatively unknown and then I'm quite confident I'm pronouncing his name wrong. Um, In this movie, the year is 2019 and humanity has engineered advanced ever-evolving androids to be used kind of like um, a cheap expendable slave labor force essentially because they're programmed to evolve over time these androids known as replicants they eventually reach equivalent intelligence with humans and remain more or less indistinguishable from them so much so that many of them rebel against their mistreatment and kill a few of their human masters. Kind of similar to uh, to any gamer out there. Uh, If you've played the old PS4 game Detroit Become Human, it's more or less the the same premise. Um, Harrison Ford plays a human, and he's one of many fellas who act as, I guess you could say bounty hunters, or hitmen, um, essentially. Because, you know... He's tasked with hunting down these androids, identifying them and retiring them. And these uh, bounty hunters, or Harrison Ford, are, they're, they're called Blade Runners, so that's the, where the, the title of the movie comes from. Um, his job is to kill these replicants, although they don't call it killing, they call it retiring them. Um, I'm going to talk about that in a second. Uh, replicants were banished from a planet that humans have moved to so 
about somewhere in space so the replicants move back to earth now unfortunately for the replicants they've been programmed to live only four years before they're shut down it's like a fail safe in case they ever rebelled you know anybody that's watched like um any movie ever where an android is involved the androids always rebel and uh i guess humans in this setting in this movie sort of um prepared for that and only allowed these replicants to live for four years so these replicants led by rutger hauer um return home to find their programmers and demand an extension on their batteries warranties or their 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 life expectancy their lifespan and blade runners in order to identify a replicant use a questionnaire system so they give them about 10 or 20 questions that uh, are asked of an individual to identify humanity not intelligence but humanity or to uh, to elicit an emotional response that a machine would not be able to replicate if that makes sense and if you fail to answer a question you get terminated or or you get retired um any history buffs out there that uh, that know of a fellow called Alan Turing he was the guy who cracked the enigma code during world war 2 he was a huge fan of computers and he was a real visionary of what machines would be able to accomplish in the near future He's known for uh, also inventing the Turing test, which is a series of questions that a machine would be asked in order to see if it thinks like a human. And anything that isn't quite a human but thinks like a human is uh, said to have artificial intelligence and may be capable of other human mental, emotional, and cognitive abilities. Um, and that's going to tie in with what I want to say later. The Blade Runner test is kind of similar to the Turing test, but it's different in that it allows for replicants' ability to mimic human thought and, um, I guess, cognitive skill. This test is more of an emotional one, so it examines pupil dilation, perspiration, the rise and falls in temperature after each question. So a machine. obviously won't really be able to accurately do those things like a human and i think it's important to reflect on the small detail among the blade runners their tendency to avoid the words murder or kill or genocide and instead they use this very wishy-washy term retiring you know it completely evades the negativities associated with death or taking life which has been seen as an inherently unethical and immoral thing since biblical times and beyond you know thou shalt not kill as one of the commandments if you're christian and among popular religions murder is wrong under most circumstances and cannot be justified only um forgiven or judged by whatever god you believe in in the afterlife and look whether you're whether you're religious or not this idea of murder being immoral and unethical and sometimes unjustifiable has translated to a tremendous extent into the world around us into our daily lives more or less so much so that it's given rise to you know choice vegetarianism choice uh, veganism whereby people refuse to consume animal products 
to avoid participating in the murder and exploitation of animals. Now, animals kill each other for food all the time, and we as a species have yet to empirically show without doubt that animals possess full theory of mind. Theory of mind is the social cognitive attribute, the, uh, the ability to recognize your own mind, your own mental states, but also to understand that other individuals have different minds, different beliefs, different desires than you do. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, we as humans develop this at a very young age where children begin to understand that people around them may not feel the same physical pain as they do if they bump into something. They may not like the same activities as they do and so on. Um, this is one insofar as science has been able to uncover. This is, a, this is a human capability so far. Now there's a lot of controversy. A lot of people are saying that animals such as chimpanzees do have theory of mind, but there's still a lot of controversy over it. But let, imagine if, right? Imagine if a chimpanzee, for example, learned to communicate, learned this theory of mind and could express these capabilities with you as a human. Wouldn't that make this animal or this creature human-like in a matter of speaking, would you not consider it unethical to kill this creature for food or clothing if you wouldn't kill a human for the same reasons? And would that not extend to a replicant-like being where they do not possess the same physical attributes, but they have theory of mind and language and intelligence? Now, throughout uh, Blade Runner, Harrison Ford's character, the real Blade Runner, attempts to struggle he, he appears to struggle somewhat with his job you know his duty to eliminate a group of individuals who look and act and think and talk like humans and constantly evolve and it's because of this burning question over the ethics of murder um the movie raises the the, the questions are people willing to kill under certain conditions where they feel it is ethical and is murder ever ethical well here we go during the uh, I, I can't remember the exact year but it was the 20th century within recent decades uh, a psychologist called Stanley Milgram carried out an experiment to see if people could kill if someone of authority told them to and um, it's an interesting premise. It's a very famous experiment and it's been replicated under a bunch of other situations and scenarios. Uh, I don't know if you're aware <clears throat> of the magician Darren Brown. He, uh, he replicated it on his old TV show and he got more or less the same results. The, uh, the experiment was essentially a bunch of people were brought into a room one after the other and they were told that they'd be testing a new learning method for the memorization of information, more or less. Um, their job was to be a teacher and one of the other participants was the learner. Now, in retrospect, the learner was an actor and not a real participant, like they were in on it the whole time. But the teacher or the real participant didn't know this. What the teacher had to do was call out a series of questions or sums or words 
and the learner had to answer correctly or call back what was being said. And if they got it wrong, uh, the teacher had to press a button that sent an electric shock to the learner. And every time this shock would increase from like 15 volts to 30 volts, all the way up to 450 volts, that was quote unquote dangerous to the learner. Now, nobody was being electrocuted really, but the participant who had to press the button didn't know that. And everyone in the experiment, like everybody who participated got up to 300 volts which uh, would cause extreme pain to the learner. Um, The learner or the actor kept, you know, screaming, begging to stop, which prompted a lot of participants to be more reluctant. But when the researcher in there with them, you know, wearing a big old lab coat, told them to continue, they continued on. Um, Most people have it in their mind that only a small percentage of the population would be able to kill if they were told to. Not, I'm not saying forced to, but ordered to. Um, the researchers going in, actually, they thought before they did all these experiments, ah, yeah, maybe a percent, maybe 5%. But it turns out that 65% of all the participants took it all the way and pressed the button until the learner had stopped responding. And it was heavily implied that they were dead. And uh, Stanley Milgram, did the exact same test about 18 times and got more or less the same results. So (laughs) you can generalize that. Um, You can generalize that to, well, half of, more than half of people, people like you and me walking around, could kill somebody if someone of authority told us to. So when looking at the Blade Runners, Harrison Ford's character, even though he knows it's wrong, he does what he does because he's told to. And we can sit around and chat about the ethics of murder for a bit, I guess, Um, because as I discussed in this episode and in previous episodes, intelligence that's visible in another creature or in another thing that mimics human intelligence might bring about a whole ethics consideration when talking about terminating this intelligence. And when we talk about ethics, um, I suppose there's four main things to think about that make up ethics. Uh, I suppose the biggest one is benefeasance. So is what you're doing going to benefit the other person or the other people involved? So uh, I love American cop shows. I'm currently watching uh, Homicide Life on the Streets and it's class. But in real life, if you have a shooter, let's say a bank robber who's on the run and has hostages, the police open fire on that person if they have an opportunity and they take that person's life because the only alternative is to do nothing whereby the hostages might get harmed the robber might escape and more lives will be lost than if the robber had been neutralized so in that case beneficence or beneficence (laughs) for the hostages is paramount see i use big words but do i really know how to say them so you know Benefeasance for the hostages is paramount. And okay, the robber dies, but the hostages live, right? The second thing that makes up ethics is the idea of least harm. So if you have no choice but to do one thing or the other, let's say the age old, you know, the the train tracks problem. Five people are tied to a train tracks uh, and um, there's a parallel track with one person tied on it. The train is on its way to run over the five people. You have a choice. Do you swap the tracks and save five people 
or you know what do you do um if you have to make a choice and save one person tied to train tracks or five people tied to train tack uh, train tracks the idea of least harm comes into it in the way of um save the five people kill the other person effectively and minimize the loss of life now many experts will say that the right thing to do might not to be engage you know just do nothing and therefore you'd be allowing the full responsibility for the loss of life to fall onto the person who put them there in that situation i don't know but um the third thing about ethics it's quite specific and doesn't really fit into the argument i'm trying to do here uh it doesn't quite fit into the whole murder thing respect for the person's autonomy that's not fully applicable here but the fourth and last one definitely is an interesting one and that is that is justice so if that bank robber is arrested and taken to prison let's say he surrenders the judge looks at the crimes committed okay armed robbery prior history with crime there's people who were murdered and the judge determines the likelihood of rehabilitation over certain time periods so for people who get long sentences that's both to present justice to the person who was injured punish the inmate and also give plenty of time hypothetically for rehabilitation um i i'm not going to get into the argument of how um prisons rehabilitate prisoners that might be for a future episode um the death penalty is where this gets interesting though every country ever every civilization every nation every continent since the origin of humans have used execution and death penalties to exert power rather than justice so for example in salem during the salem witch trials women were given the death penalty um during the witch trials for being in any way different or disliked by members of the community uh the romans uh roman generals would execute 10% of soldiers that returned home from a failed battle they called it decimation so every 10th soldier would be executed the aztecs they executed slaves and enemies as part of a religious sacrificial thing so the death penalty as a form of punishment after a fair trial by a jury of one's peers is kind of a very recent phenomenon under the context of human history um i was reading an article uh that interviewed a very prominent bioethicist called Craig Klugman and he was saying that today it's considered you know the practice of the death penalty is considered unethical um because it doesn't follow through with these um ethical principles i just mentioned you know who is who benefits from the death penalty how is it minimizing harm how is it justice you know if anything it's more of a vengeance thing committing a wrong to fix a wrong you know um doctors and medical professionals right they're or nurses even they're people who face ethical questions and situations every day they have to think about what treatments uh is this treatment going to benefit is it going to do more harm um so, you know everybody has their own set of extenuating circumstances So it's no wonder that over in the US where the death penalty is still active in a few states that medical professionals are not involved in any of the procedures drug companies even um they don't like the idea of their anesthetics being used in executions because it would be bad for business and there's a lot of people who still protest the uh, the death penalty over there 
you know, the general public protested, medical professionals protested, certain uh, civil servants protested. So Big Pharma doesn't want to get involved. So they don't um, provide anesthetics to these prisons. So what prisons do, some of them, is use the short supplies that they do manage to get their hands on, the short supplies of anesthetics and drugs. And what they do is they mix cocktails, almost of different uh, experimental and untested drugs that may result in uh, painful deaths for the inmates. You know, the whole idea of the lethal injection is that it's uh, painless, but uh, it's been shown that that's not always the case. Um, I think 60%, 60, uh, 60% of the world's countries have retained the death penalty, but these countries are either the US, China, or Middle Eastern or Asian third world countries. Um, Europe, Mexico, parts of Africa, South America, Canada, they've abolished it. And what's worrying is the amount of people who have been tried, found guilty, imprisoned, executed, and then found out to be innocent is a staggering number, you know. And it's a sad thing as well. You hear somebody who's been found guilty, either through a fair trial or an unfair trial, uh, you know, and then put to death over something that they didn't do. The... uh, conservative estimates round off at around 5%. So, you know, even like um, small numbers are estimating around 5% of all executed inmates have been or are innocent. And I think the rationale for the death penalty is that it, uh, it provides justice to the families of you know, the victims that uh, were made victims by the person who committed the crime. But if the person who committed the crime is being executed, but they didn't do the crime, well, then how is the death penalty in that case? You know, that's committing a wrong to fix a wrong that made a wrong. You know what I mean? Um, And I, you know, the, the rationale for the death penalty, it provides justice to victims and their families. But again, there's justice and then there's vengeance and death won't bring anybody back. Now, I I understand that there are many people out there who would say to me, well, Ilya, what if it was somebody you know? Wouldn't you want uh, the death penalty? Wouldn't you want that vengeance? It doesn't matter if I would want it or not. It it doesn't make it right, you know? And uh, there are many people out there who might confuse me with certain people. Um might confuse me with people called pacifists or people who believe in pacifism. The idea that murder or violence is entirely wrong, regardless of the circumstances, um, regardless of the species being murdered. And that's not quite what ethics is all about entirely. People who are pacifists refuse to accept that killing is necessary sometimes. So in war, for example, when one country is attacking another country, um, history, both ancient and modern, has shown us that war is just cruelty, really. So simply because one side may surrender because they feel it's morally wrong to engage in murder doesn't mean that the other side will spare you or let you live or treat you well. Um, War has always been profitable. Vikings came to Ireland in the old days and plundered peaceful pacifist monks who didn't fight back. They took tons of gold and slaves. Uh, Modern wars secure natural resources like oil and gas. So what I'm saying is there's no incentive 
for the winners of war to treat the side who loses kindly or with compassion. Um, and I'm, I'm going to give you a quote here. It's a quote I came up with, entirely me. It took me a good 20 seconds to come up with. And when I die, I hope that you'll remember me for this, because this is probably the most profound thing anybody has ever come up with. And that's me being humble. Um, <laughs> but here, here's the quote. In a world full of war and conflict, pacifism is a virtue held and maintained by the privileged or the side who either doesn't engage in war often or wins all of its wars. Isn't that amazing? Um, think about it. Because you see, the most prominent anti-war protesters have emerged and found a large following and a, large, a loud voice from the United States which is a country that is a superpower, the largest military in the world, it's never lost a war, and the fact that these activists have the capacity to protest, they're educated, they have education and access to information to construct their arguments, and the right to freely express their opinions, while that's noble, it's a privilege, and it's a privilege bought with the blood spilled of the enemies of America. It's both ironic and sad and predictable. The replicants, coming back to Blade Runner, the replicants from Blade Runner, while somewhat violent in that it had members like Rutger Hauer, uh, Rutger Hauer's character who fought back for freedom and their lives, most of them were peaceful. Peace is a good thing, don't get me wrong, but when soldiers from a faraway country arrive on boats to attack you just because you happen to be there, wouldn't you want to have somebody fighting back on your behalf so that you can live to protest another day? <laughs> the inhumanities of war after your country sweeps the floor with the other side. Well, I know I would. Um, but I'm checking the time now. I think we're at the end of the episode. That's that. Blade Runner. The Ethics of Murder. Um, I know this podcast has a tendency to go off on tangents, uh, but that's the point, you know? We see where the discussion takes us, and what I found is that even um, small little things, small little details in movies can catapult you to places where you wouldn't have expected. So, thanks for listening. If there's something you want to discuss more with me, feel free to send a message through the podcast's Instagram at movie underscore millennium underscore podcast. Next week, we're doing another movie suggestion, The Devil's Advocate. Can't wait for that. Thanks again for your lovely support, and I shall see you next week. Bye-bye.